This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Hope you're getting through the week. We got a great show planned for you. We're going to open up by talking about things that happen when you get sober. A lot of people are stepping into sobriety and we're talking more about our difficult, uh, complex, nuanced relationship to drugs and alcohol. So that's what we're going to be kind of opening the show upon. See where that gets us. And uh, going to also be sliding into those DMs. So as always, if you've got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. We want to hear from you. Whatever you're wondering about, got answers. Topics you want covered, bam, drop them in there. And uh, past episodes of Loveline, always over at wearechannelq.com. Ah, much has come out of the past year or so, and part of that is people realizing that maybe some of the uh, coping mechanisms or what they thought might have been self-care-centered is actually maybe getting a little problematic. And, you know, part of what makes people, you know, hesitant or uh, a little anxious about changing their relationship to drugs or alcohol or other things in their life is what is on the other side of it, right? What does it mean if I got quote-unquote sober? Uh, so before we even get into some of the changes that you can expect, let's talk about sobriety. Sobriety is going to look different for everyone. The whole point of sobriety is not let's get people off of drugs and alcohol. It's not the goal. The goal is we're trying to work on mental health and improve the quality of people's lives, right? Decrease the impact. So sobriety is going to mean something different for everyone. Sobriety for some might mean total abstinence from drugs and alcohol. Sobriety for others might be removing just alcohol because that might be the only substance they have a problem with. And others, it might be removing just drugs while continuing to drink successfully. And for others, they might be staying off of illicit drugs and alcohol, but might still be using medicinal marijuana. That marijuana and cannabis in the states where it's legal uh, with a prescription or completely legalized or decriminalized. Um, it has a lot of medicinal benefits. Everything has the capacity of bringing something maybe positive as a coping mechanism for, you know, through a difficult time, but at other times it might become a little more problematic, but point being, we're just trying to reduce harm. We're trying to, you know, clean up people's lives. Uh, people have been using drugs since the beginning of time. People have been seeking mind altering experiences since the beginning of time and culture to culture, certain things are normalized while others aren't. We also know in the animal kingdom that animals also repeatedly return to consuming certain berries and other plants that create hallucinations and other shift in consciousness. And uh, there's also people that use certain, you know, mind altering substances, ayahuasca, one of them. Also now we're looking more at ketamine therapies, right? And these are different things that create different experiences. And for some communities, it's a spiritual experience. There are some people that use cannabis and other mood altering substances as a spiritual experience. You know, um, we use MDMA also in therapeutic contexts. So all these things have a capacity to uh, bring us towards good or bring us towards evil. So we really have to be honest and look at the relationship we have. That's why I don't use the word addict. I use the word, you know, relationship to drugs and alcohol because it can shift and change. Um, everyone's experience is going to be different. Some people, again, their definition of sobriety will be total abstinence. And for others, they're just looking at reducing the negative impact or reducing use, using less, using less often, taking breaks, uh, whatever, whatever someone needs is what they need. And we got to meet them where they're at, right? We're updating the way we treat addiction. We are no longer just saying once an addict, always an addict. Cause that's not true. At one point you could struggle with your use of drugs and alcohol, but at another point in your life, when you've done therapy and resolved trauma, it might be something that can be folded back in. Right. Um, we also know that, you know, addiction is not a disease. It is something that's born out of trauma. We know that the increase in traumatic experiences is what sets you up for, problematic relationships with drugs and alcohol or other things. 
right? Early attachment, relational traumas and other traumas lead us to have maybe faulty, faulty coping mechanisms because the ways that most people get their needs met aren't available. Or that person based on the traumas doesn't have the internal resources to deal with what's happening is constantly reaching for something outside of them, right? And we're not letting people hit rock bottom. We're saving lives. And so we're offering people resources. We're not punishing them for struggling. Just like if someone's working with me on depression, I don't kick them out of therapy if they're still depressed or had a relapse into depression saying, you're not taking it seriously. I wouldn't kick them out of my house and say, you need to hit rock bottom before you're ready to take that depression seriously and not relapse back into depression. Well, why do we do that with addicts? Right? Why would we say, oh, well, you're struggling with something, and I know you are, and that's why you're seeking help from family members, loved ones, a 12-step program, a rehab, or a therapist, and yet when I watch you struggle, I punish you for it? We wouldn't do that with someone's anxiety returning or their depression. We wouldn't kick them out of the house or kick them out of treatment. We would say you must need more care and more support. We need to offer that to people that we see as addicts or that have problematic relationships to drugs and alcohol. So we meet them where they're at. That's the first thing we want to talk about. Everyone has to decide, maybe with a mental health professional, what they should be holding themselves accountable to, what their treatment plan is, what their goal is, and how they're defining sobriety. I work with some clients where they're sober because they're off of their problematic use, but they're still maybe using cannabis or they're still drinking. It really depends. It's case by case because we're working with it psychologically. 12-step program, program sees it differently. That's cool. I am a therapist, so I see things through a psychological lens, right? Um, so we're seeing things differently. We're seeing things better. Uh, we're being more person centered. We're offering people the care they need. We're meeting them where they're at and we're not telling people what to do. We're meeting people where they're at and we're, we're, we're case by case, truly individualizing the care that they need, right? No global definitions of sobriety, no global treatments. We have to meet people where they're at. All right. When we come back though, we're going to talk about bump it a bum, what to expect once you get sober, life changes. All right. Stick around y'all. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on channel Q. And Odyssey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Alrighty, we are back and we're talking about sobriety. What are the things that will change when you get sober? I love talking about this because I think exploring sobriety is probably important for a lot of people. And as we talked in the last segment, you get to define what sobriety means for you. I'd recommend if you think you have a problematic or distressing relationship with drugs and alcohol to see a therapist, someone who understands and has an updated current model and understanding of addictionology. Some people lovingly are doing their best, but they have outdated models and they're still saying once an addict, always an addict, or they're calling it a disease. Those things are not what the current research has told us. We've known that now for a long time. Um, a lot of addiction organizations haven't updated their definitions. They're not looking at current research. We now know that addiction is an attachment issue that people early in life, instead of turning to other people, 
people, right? Which is what healthy adults do for regulation. We lean on, rely upon others. It's not codependency. That's innate. That is healthy. That's primal. We need to be relying on others. We literally cannot be completely independent or separated from others. It's not possible. But our nervous systems and our brains are created to hook and latch onto others. And once we establish someone as a primary attachment figure, understandably, we're always seeking proximity to them and we find them very soothing, right? But as children, when we deal with adversity and trauma, trauma after trauma after trauma, well, guess what? We don't trust self, the other, or the world. We have not had socialized or instilled in us resources to cope with distress or been shown that other people can be there for us. And that's when we start to turn to objects. People that rely upon things outside of themselves or humans, such as maybe food or exercise, right? Or shopping, or drugs or alcohol, not that, that those things are always bad. I recommend sometimes utilizing shopping and food and all these other forces. They can be really beautiful short-term coping mechanisms, ways to bring joy and pleasure in our lives or regulate us. But if that's all we have and that's all we're ever turning to, that relationship can get very distorted because then we, we, we are expecting from these things what they're not meant to give us. Shopping, food, alcohol, those things are not meant to help us regulate long-term. They're really not. Um, and that's what happens when we don't have better resources. And the best resource is always going to be to turn to other people, relationships, right? But when we've had trauma within those or those aren't available, we tend to go to other things. And remember, motivation, the law of human gravity, we're going to go to which is easiest, fastest, and always works. And that's what reinforces returning maybe to drugs and alcohol. It's never going to let you down. It's going to have negative outcomes, but it's going to do its job, which is check you out, help you get away from that pain, right? Distance, numb you out. It always works. It's cheap, it's easy, it's quick, it's accessible. And that's what makes us keep returning to it, right? It's that reward. It's that anticipatory reward because we're rewarded before we even consume, right? The dopamine starts flooding and we get rewarded just on the way to the ice cream parlor before we even eat it, right? Um, so we want to turn to other people. And when someone says, well, then what would be a better model for trying to understand when to turn to food, exercise? Because again, exercise is not always good. Sometimes it is a problematic relationship in your life because maybe you're passing on social events to go to the gym. You're not eating at events because you're afraid of food. Like those are examples where it's a misuse, right? So I always say to people, if you're in a good mood and you're in a good space, that's the best time to drink or use drugs because it's going to amplify that mood. You're not, you're not expecting anything from it, right? You're just, you're just enhancing because it enhances where we're already at. If you're sad, angry, depressed, that's what it's going to bring more of out, more of you out of more out of you can't even speak today. So again, if you're in a positive mood, those, those resources are best available. If you're in a negative mood, right? Struggling then you're probably relying on it for coping and it's possibly gonna make things worse. And that's when you should really say, what do I need? Do I need to talk this out? Do I need to focus on solution? Do I need to sit here and just feel it and grieve its loss? And sometimes the answer is no, I've been doing that for a length of time. I deserve time away. Checking out can be a healthy mechanism. It's good to go to the movies for two hours and disappear. We need that. We're not, you know, life isn't meant to just face everything head on. So I don't agree. We have to learn how to sit in everything. No, that's actually not healthy. That can be traumatizing. We need time away, taking naps, right? Um, going shopping, baking and eating something, calling a friend, going to the movies. And again, for some, it's going to involve other uses of things. But again, what is a gateway drug is, is trauma. Trauma is what leads to drug use, not things like cannabis. We know that. In fact, cannabis is an important part of getting many people sober. It helps ease them off and it becomes a longer term coping mechanism that has far less impacts. No, no, one, no one dies from marijuana use. We know that alcohol use is implicated in 75 to 80% of all domestic violence cases and, and acts of violence are tied to alcohol, DUIs, drunk driving, all those things. Alcohol is quite problematic, but yet we've normalized that in our culture and and we shouldn't. I'm more worried about people's behavior while drinking than I am while smoking weed or cannabis, right? That settles them down. That soothes them. It does not lead to anger. It does not lead to violence. It doesn't lead to ODs. We don't have those cases documented. We do with alcohol and other drugs. Um, so again, I'm not worried about cannabis use. That can be a way out of drug use or something to use instead of something illicit and really problematic. I'm worried right? More so about trauma and people not resolving that trauma because that's going to keep you always in a state of wanting to reach for something. So getting off drugs or alcohol isn't enough. Congrats. You're, you're celibate or I'm sorry, you're abstinent. 
That's what that means. You're abstinent. Cool. But if you don't do that therapy and internal work and say, what it was it I'm using those drugs or alcohol to cope with or to heal or to distance from, you're always going to be reaching for something outside of you compulsively, pathologically. And so at some point you have to just face self and do that therapy. It's hard. And that's why 12 steps are great about maybe helping you get support to build community and to learn to trust people and to find familiarity in socialization and can help you get abstinent off of drugs and alcohol. But then the next step after you do your step work is please get into therapy and do the trauma work. 12 steps and sponsors aren't therapists. They're not meant to do therapy. They're not meant to do trauma work, but that trauma, that which has led you to the problematic relationship with drugs and alcohol has to get addressed and resolved. That can only happen in therapy. And that's why some people get rid of drugs and alcohol, but then they're turning to other things problematically and still feeling out of control, still not having high quality relationships. Because at the end of the day, whether you're on drugs or not, et cetera, et cetera, what really speaks to your level of mental health is your relational functioning. If you have chronic relational problems with friends, family members, people you're dating, you're not mentally healthy. And I'm glad you're off drugs and alcohol, but you're still, have, you're still not healthy and you need to do more work. And that's something I say to everyone, whether struggling with drugs and alcohol or not. We're gonna take a break. We're gonna keep talking about this. Stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris and Odyssey. See you back. All right, y'all, we are back and we're talking about sobriety. And uh, we're going to be easing into a discussion about what are the things uh, to be aware of when you get sober? What are those changes? Because that matters. You're, you're not getting sober or getting into therapy or making life changes for life to get more complex, more difficult, more negative and harder. So we want to make sure we're doing it right so that we have a beneficial outcome which is what will reinforce us staying sober. If sobriety is harder, it's not gonna stick. And in theory, it shouldn't. We don't enter sobriety for things to get more difficult. We enter for them to enhance our quality of life. And if your quality of life is not enhanced and made better, more meaningful, it is not gonna stick long-term, but it shouldn't, right? Think about it like that. And so that's why the number one thing I say before we get into the changes to expect so that you know everything's still well as these changes occur, remember the most important determinant of long-term sobriety is starting to build high-quality relationships. We talked about why that is, and that's the definition of mental health. And number two, in your sober life, creating a life that is purpose and meaning. Because if you don't value the life you have, you won't mind interrupting it or throwing it away by returning to drugs and alcohol. If you build a life of purpose and meaning, you're not going to do anything to impact that negatively. You are going to preserve it and treat it fragilely. And if you build healthy relationships around you, that helps as well. It is okay to have external motivators. Long-term requires we find it inside at some point. It has to be meaningful to us, but external ones help as well. You know. Okay, so what are the things that we should expect when first getting sober so that we don't scare ourselves? Number one, the most powerful thing is your social world's going to change. It needs to. Find value in that. You cannot theoretically hang out with the same people. If you were using solo and you had a group of healthy friends that you hid it from and didn't use with, well, then maybe it's not going to change, except that maybe you'll spend more time with them and be more present and more honest with them. But if you typically use socially, you are going to have to change your friends. We are only as healthy as the people we spend time around. We cannot expect to internalize, own, and move forward with longevity, with new behaviors, if old bad behavior is still normalized around us. Let me get off topic, or maybe I'm staying on topic. I was talking to a friend of mine. You might know who I'm talking about, but that's all I'm saying. And they were talking recently about getting cheated on. I always say over and over, Part of that problem is when your friends, this person's friends, also cheat and normalize cheating and, and think it's a cool thing and support it, that is going to be an ethic that you internalize. We have the same ethics as those around us. The only way to get away from cheating, part of it, I mean, there's a thousand things you have to do, but one of them is you have to be around people that don't think that's okay or think that that's cool. You're not going to be a better person if you're hanging around people that support your bad behavior and do the same thing. Part of living a sober life isn't just abstinence from drugs and alcohol. It's like, how can I also just build a life of purpose and meaning and be a healthier person in the world. You need healthy people around you that mirror that, 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 that's, that you can mimic, that hold you accountable to better. That's a sign of a good friend too. They're like, yo, that wasn't okay. Be better. Crappy friends are the ones like, yeah, that's right. Key his car. Yeah, that's right. Go through his phone. Pfft, that is crappy friend. We are influenced by the norms, values, and ethics of those around us. So take the mental health temperature of those around you. That's yours. We cannot get and stay sober for still spending time around people that normalize that use and also become a trigger for us. Remember, triggers is a real thing. We associate people with things we've done with them. 
And if you've used a lot of drugs or alcohol problematically with someone, that's going to be a trigger when you're around them. So what does that mean for someone you're in a relationship with that you used with? It means unless they and you both have really solid sobriety, you're going to have to leave that marriage or that relationship. Because if they're planning on still using, they will always be a trigger. And also, even if they're not, it isn't going to feel good to try to work on sobriety while your partner husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend is still wanting to use. It's just not going to feel good. It just won't be good for your mental health. So that's why there's such a big divorce rate and breakup rate when people get sober because they're like, I need better. I want better. And even if we don't use judgment words like better, they want different. They want to be around people that are living in the world in a sober way. I don't drink. I don't want to be around drinking. I don't want to go watch people drink. That is not fun for me, and that's not good for my mental health. I don't go to bars. I don't go to clubs. And if you invite me to a party and everyone's just going to be boozing it up, I'm going to rain check it because that's not healthy for me, and that's not my place or maybe even my people. You know, I'm in a relationship with someone who drinks casually every now and then. I don't mind that. We go to dinner. Boo wants to have a glass of wine or two. I don't care. You know what I mean? But if my boo was like, let's go to a bar so you can watch me and my friends get blasted, I'd be like, that's not only not what I want to do, but the fact that you're inviting me to that tells me that you're not really caring about me or knowing who I am. And this might not be a safe relationship. You know what I mean? So think in those terms. You're good. The good people in your life won't try to bring you around it and won't try to bring you back to it. They're going to be like, good on you and say to them, let me know if you all are going to drink or be using drugs so I can make the adult decision whether or not I'm going to show up. And I'm hoping your answer is I'm going to pass on those times. And you also listen to those on the other side. If your friend's getting sober, please stay close and connected if you're a good person and still try to create non-drinking, non-drug use plans with them. They need to know that you're still there. That's how you show up as a good friend. Um, and if you don't want to do that, then that's cool. Own that. Hey, we might not be able to be friends anymore. Drugs and alcohol are a big part of my life. I don't want to trigger you. Own it. Own it. But your social world's going to change. But it'll change for the better because now you have the space to go out in the world and meet, make, meet friends that have something in common with you. Drug use and alcohol use is something in common, but it isn't really. We're not really building intimacy or connecting. We're going to take a break. We're going to slide into those DMs, and then we're going to come back and finish talking about this. So stick around. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All righty, y'all. We are back, and uh, time to do some DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, what do we got today? Oh, this one's a good one. Hey, Dr. Chris and Loveline, I need your help, exclamation point. I'm having ongoing and constant arguments with my boyfriend. Here it comes, wait for this one. About topics like rape culture, misogyny, sexism, feminism, et cetera, et cetera. You're hitting them all, right? It's good stuff. He says that we are all equal, he believes, <clears throat> but that women should still dress a certain way to not get raped. He says women don't earn as much as men because they're doing lighter jobs than men, et cetera, et cetera. The list just goes on and on. Um, it's already hurting my heart. This person is definitely um, sexist, misogynist, and uh, a bootlicker of the patriarchy, as we say, because um, if you only respect certain kinds of women in certain contexts, then you actually don't respect all women. And every human being has worth and value by them inherently just, actually all life has inherent worth and value by merely being life. Um, so we have to be very thoughtful about how we engage with the environment as well, which is why we have environmental catastrophe, which is why California and four other states are having the highest record temperatures during the day and also at night. So two, two records were broken, uh, ever documented, ever documented. We've had this, the warmest summer day and summer nights here in California and four other states. That's climate change, y'all. And a lot of that's from the animal farming industry. Um, but, you know, again, him saying we're all equal, however, that means he's about to give the exceptions and exceptions don't exist. Everyone's worth in value. People that are addicted, people that are without a home and, and, and as we would say, homeless people that are sex workers, all these people are human beings and they deserve respect and value at all times in all situations. There are no caveats. There are no exceptions. And your boyfriend's trying to make some, and that scares me because that's a lack of empathy and that's a little sociopathic. That's, you know what I mean? So, Anyway, I'm going to get back to your question, but yes, those are massive red flags. For me in my life, those are deal breakers. Anyone who thinks the value or worth of a human being or a life is up for debate is uh, someone I don't feel safe around 
physically or psychologically because it means that they have loopholes and they have gray areas and they can talk themselves into rationalizing why someone is worthy of violence or lack of resources or care. And that's a really horrific psychology. Um, and it's just interesting that, again, his focus is on women dressing a certain way to not get raped versus how do we stop men from raping, right? Um, how would he feel if you were raped because you were wearing something you were comfortable in while out in the summer heat or not, right? Uh, women don't earn as much as men because they're doing lighter jobs. Are you kidding? We are, our vice president <laughs> is a woman. That's not a light job. Speaker of the House is a woman. That's not a light job. Uh, there's a lot of women that are doing other jobs that are not light jobs. <laughs> oh, it hurts my heart. Anyway, he can't stand the Me Too movement, you think? Of course he can't, because it calls out people like him. Um, and is listening to Misogynist Podcast. All right, you got to go. Seriously, tag out. I don't even know what your question is yet. Tag out. Because it gets worse and worse. Why? Because he's not only not working to learn and do better and unlearn his messages, he's listening to things that reinforce it. And that's horrific to me. Um, you back to your question though. You say, I don't know how to show him what women go through. Yeah. He's not open to being shown. We, you know, and that's why I don't get into arguments anymore on social media, because if someone's arguing, it's a sign most likely based on how they're arguing that they're not open for discussion. They just want to fight and I don't fight anymore. And that's what it sounds like, you know? So your question is he won't see it. I don't know what resources to show him. He isn't open to resources. He hasn't asked for them. He doesn't want to read them. He's actively working against that by the things he's looking at. And I don't believe that you sending him a website is going to do anything. Do you think there's anything I actually do or should I stop responding? Yeah, get out of there. Dodge, get out of there. There's so many amazing people out there. There's amazing men out there that are actually empathetic and reasonable and have ethics and, and want to treat you well and are trying to do better. Men like me that are trying to dismantle patriarchy and sexism and rape culture. He's a participant in rape culture. His statement is rape culture. His statement is the problem. And his podcasts are perpetuating and strengthening it. Get out now and run. Seriously, it's not gonna be good for you at all. It already isn't. Um, all right, that is that. If you got a question for us or a topic you want covered, something you want us to hit again or drop into deeper, drop it in our uh, DMs on our Loveline IG page and past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. You can binge, post, share with this, and they're all over there, so check them out. Coming up next, though, we're gonna keep talking about sobriety. That's right, it's good stuff. It's a lot, you know, something a lot of people are kind of stepping into these days. Um, all right, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around, y'all. We'll be back. All right, y'all, welcome back, and I'm glad you stuck around. I hope I didn't scare you off by telling you that if you got, you know, change your relationships to drugs and alcohol, you're gonna lose all your friends. Well, you might, <laughs> but that's a good thing because the only friends you would lose are the ones who don't know how to show up sober or don't really value you because if they actually are good people, they're gonna wanna create space in their lives to still see you that don't involve drugs and alcohol. They're gonna be willing to prioritize you. And if they can't or they won't, no harm, no foul, it's good to know. Let's just own that on both parties, both ends. And let's see you when I see you. You know what I mean? And if your boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife still wants to use and drink and they do it problematically, it's not a good safe relationship for you. You gotta go, you gotta go. And if they do drink or use drugs in an adult boundaried way, it's appropriate to say, I don't want to necessarily be around it or see it, so can you do it while you're out with friends? But no, it's not going to be good for my sobriety or mental health to be sitting on the couch on a Tuesday night trying to watch, you know, um, uh, the practice reruns, because that's what I'm watching right now, while you're, you know, doing whatever you're doing next to me. That's not fair. That's not kind. That's not healthy. It's not going to work. So you're going to maybe have to set those boundaries and have some difficult conversations. We'll talk about that another time, how to get into that. Um, this is actually another interesting thing when I was looking at some of the research. I always like to see what people have to say on topics about how your life will change when you get sober. This was the headline. Splitting checks becomes a thing. What they're recently, what they're basically calling out is you're going to have to be assertive because that, that, that one statement was meant to imply that, you know, when you go out with your friends for food and drinks, if everyone drinks, you all just kind of maybe split the bill. But if you're a non-drinker and they're having cocktails, oh, baby, you do not want to split that bill four ways or two ways or you know however many ways, depending on however many people are there. And I remember when I first stopped drinking, that was, that well, it actually was not difficult for me. I have no problem speaking up, being assertive and setting my boundaries. But, you know, that is the uh, white, white cis doctor in me who has no problem doing that. But um, that's a healthy use of my male privilege and my confidence. Uh, but... 
for some people it is hard. And so I did have to say, Hey guys, I'm actually going to just cover what I ate. I didn't drink. So I'm not comfortable covering that. And my friends were like, Oh my God, of course not. And they would never expect that. And at times they're like, we'll just cover it all together. We don't mind splitting your little meal. Cause they banged out a whole bunch of cocktails and they're like, we'll just all split it. You know, we got you. And so I'm not saying your friends need to buy your dinner, but you do need to speak up and say, I'm not comfortable paying for the drinks I didn't drink. And that shouldn't be a problem. And if it's a problem for your friends, well, then you got crappy friends because why would they want you to pay for some of their booze? Like what? Um, but again, maybe that's not even the right group to go out with. You could say, hey, guys, can we do some sober dinners if you're new to sobriety or you feel like that would trigger you? And I want friends to ask, hey, do you mind if we drink? Hey, should we drink? Can we drink? Because there has to be an acceptability of sometimes doing some things without alcohol because your friend doesn't drink. Like, please, please, please check yourself when you're drinking. If you as the friends of a sober person can't imagine doing dinners without booze sometimes, can't imagine going to the movies or a show or concert without booze. Like really? Then you might need to look at your relationship to drugs and alcohol as well because if you can't even imagine a night out without it, I will never forget this. This was many years ago and it still sits with me. And I still have to work through it, but I'm, I'm sharing this story to tell you, don't be this person. Years ago, when I was sober, no drugs, no alcohol, I held a birthday party. And I will never forget this. One of my friends came up to me and said, wait a minute, there's no alcohol here? Now let me stop for a second, because there's a few problems wrong with that. Number one, everyone knew I didn't drink or use drugs, so I don't know why you thought I was gonna center alcohol at my party when I don't do it. Number two, tons of amazing food. Please go stuff your face, but it's not going to be with booze. Number three, you really can't imagine getting through a nice get-together without intoxication. You need to then go look at your relationship to drugs and alcohol because that is a misuse. If you can't imagine being present in a vulnerable, intimate way without alcohol or drugs, then you have a problematic relationship. And that was so profound for me to hear. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I absolutely do not. But feel free to go down the bar and do what you need to do because there's a bar a few blocks down. Like, peace. Happy birthday to me. Like, don't be that person. That's, that's a mess. Be better than that. Um, or don't go. But don't try to make me feel bad because I'm not providing intoxication when it shouldn't be needed at my little soiree when I don't even drink. Like, I'm vegan as well. If you come to a dinner party that I throw, it's going to be vegan. <laughs> like, because that's how I eat. I also won't put my money behind the murder and abuse of animals ever. Like if my partner asked me to go pick up something at the supermarket and involves animal products, I won't pay for it to pick it up. I, that's not going in my basket. You know what I mean? I get to have my own ethical boundaries, but like, dear God, where do you think you're going to go? But like, you'll be okay. You know? So these are those things where like, we have to really pay attention to how we impact others. Um, this I thought was another funny quote things that change and are different when you get sober. Uh, seltzer, Netflix, and pajamas will all take on a new meaning. Now, I think there's something sweet in that, but I also think that that can be very upsetting to some people because that can imply you, pff, your whole life, every night's going to be a blockbuster night because you ain't going anywhere. There's No, please don't ever think that. Not using drugs or alcohol doesn't mean that your world has to get small, boring, or lonely. In fact, it actually gets bigger because if instead of every freaking Friday night or New Year's Eve spending taking place in someone's house or bar or club wasted, you get to participate in literally the other one million kajillion billion things that there are to do in the world that are fun. I don't care where you live. There's a million bajillion kajillion things to do, even if you live under a rock. We're going to take a break and come back and talk more about what those things are. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back. And before the break, while talking about our relationship to drugs and alcohol, and you know, excuse me, those that are considering trying out sobriety, try it out. When in doubt, try it out. I say that about sex as well. When in doubt, try it three times. First time, you're gonna be a little anxious. Second time, get a little familiar. Third time, you'll know if you like it or not. If you're straight, try being with someone of the same sex. You might learn a lot from it. Go make out or have sex with a boy or a girl. If you're gay, go try being with the uh, opposite gender. I think you'll learn a lot about it. You're going to learn a lot about yourself. Same thing with sobriety. You're, you're wondering, take a break. Stop drinking or using drugs for a month. Really learn about yourself. See when you most want to use. See what parts of yourself you have to rely upon that you're not familiar with or don't feel confident in when not using. Try going to a bar or a party without drinking or using anything. Really step into that. But for those that are like, no, I'm already in. Let's do this. Don't think that 
every night now has to mean no friends and nothing. And that's another example where, you know, again, the 12 the step program is not perfect. There's a lot of flaws. I have a lot of issues with it. I don't think it's right for everyone. I recommend some people not participating, but there's a lot of value for others. And one of the things that it offers is friends, sober friends. You know, the 12 step program really values being open and connecting and exchanging numbers and looking out for each other. And that's a beautiful ethic that we should have everywhere. I wish we did that even in the drinking drug using world. I wish that at bars, we were kind to look out for each other. And if we saw someone on their own, we invited them over, but that's not really how those spaces work. But meetings do tend to work that way. The healthy ones go to the healthy ones where people are healthy and friendly, not where they're gossiping and talking poorly of each other and taking each other's programs. That's run, 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 run. But the healthy ones, they're there to help people learn how to socialize and to show you that we can still have fun. In LA, there's tons of sober events and parties, tons, concerts, get-togethers, game nights, birthdays, everyone's invited. And if you don't have that locally, start it. People are hungry for that. Set up a meeting in your area, post it online. It doesn't have to be an official 12-step. You can still have a sober Saturday hangout get together, bring people together, create spaces to be sober. People need that. LA is starting to do non-drinking bars, which basically means somewhere to go that is non-alcoholic drinks that is a fun place to be after 7 p.m. when usually it's only about boozing it up, you know? We all also have a vegan bar, a vegan non-alcoholic bar in LA. That I mean, my God, they were like, Dr. Chris, we got you. And I was like, thank you. Like those are my two jams. I just hope it's low sodium, which most likely it's not. Because of heart health, I can't eat sodium or high sodium. Anywho, point being, seltzer, Netflix, and pajamas will take on a new meeting because yeah, when you're sober, you don't always wanna go out during the week late. There's not much to do, you don't drink. You know what I mean? And maybe you're going to bed earlier. I go to bed crazy early. I go to bed by like 9.30 or 10. I get up at 5 a.m. every day. I'm not a nighttime person. Nothing happening at night that I need to be a part of. I'm a daytime person. My friend things are daytime. My dates are daytime. Someone wants to see me. We're not meeting for a late dinner or anything. We're meeting for a hike, a coffee, a lunch, a brunch, a beach day, going to see art together, going to the movies, going shopping, running errands. That's what we're doing, you know? sitting, having deep conversations. That's available in sobriety. That was never available when I was out there drinking hard at the bars and clubs and in the scene. None of that was happening. It was the opposite. It was lots of bad behavior, false intimacy, meaning a lot of time together, but no real honest conversations. Why? Because it's loud and dark and we're messed up. And that was the purpose. And I'm not saying there isn't space for that. But if that's what your whole social life revolves around, where you're missing out on true intimacy. The more friends you have, the less intimacy you can have. And that's why I now have more one-on-one relationships with everyone. So they're deeper and more honest. There's a beauty in that. So getting off drugs and alcohol allows you to have real honest relationships because you're sober, you're fully present. It's beautiful. But it also maybe brings out a truth that you're more of a homebody than you realize. That's cool. Live your best homebody life. You know, there's no right way to be. Being more social, being out more isn't better or healthier. It's just different. You know, I try to share parts of my life as a way to normalize. So when I talk a lot about myself, I'm trying to normalize. It's actually an intervention. There's activism in it. But I'm not outdoorsy and I don't like being around crowds of people. I'm indoorsy. I'm a daytime person. And that's the kind of friends and people I hang around with, people that are indoorsy in daytime. You know what I mean? And we go do amazing things in the world. And I don't participate in things that involve drugs and alcohol use. It's just not my thing. It's not for me. That's okay. Others can, you know? But you're allowed to set boundaries and ask for what you need. So what else is going to change if you get sober? Here's another bold headline. People will ask you why you don't drink. And sadly, sometimes they're just going to say obnoxious, stupid things to you about not drinking. And that's the thing. You get to have boundaries and privacy. If someone wants to know if you drink or not or why, you don't even have to answer. You can say, yeah, I'm not comfortable answering that. And some people are like, well, that's an answer. No, it's called a boundary. And they can be left with making whatever meaning they want out of that. And maybe you might say, I don't drink, which I think is an important thing to normalize saying, yes, I don't drink. Some people don't. And if they say, can I ask why? You can say, no, I'm not comfortable answering that. Or maybe you are and you tell them. You can say, because I don't like it. I don't like the way it impacts my life. I don't like the way I feel. It makes my life chaotic. I don't enjoy it. I prefer to be more present. There's a thousand reasons. They're all valid, you know, because I don't enjoy it. I don't like it. But yeah, you're going to hear a lot of stupid things. I remember when I was single and I would tell people I didn't drink, they were like, oh, then what do you do for fun? And I was like, wow, we're not a match. My God, what is your whole world just drinking in bars? Like if you really ask that question, there's a whole wide world. Bars and drinking make up like 0.05% of the world in the city. Oh my God, open your eyes and look around you 
And I knew when people would say things like that, that'll never work. Just like when I would tell people I'm vegan, if they're like, oh, I was like, wow, you lack a sophisticated palate. Because just like there's Thai food and Ethiopian food and Chinese food and Indian food and these beautiful cuisines with different palates and flavors, veganism is also another form of delicious kinds of food. And sophisticated people will understand that there's a lot to do without drugs, alcohol, or even eating animal products. You know what I mean? And so when we live with our truth, we learn more about the other person. So do that. You know, you don't have, you can set those boundaries, but sometimes you're doing an act of activism by normalizing, you know? All right, uh, coming up, we're gonna keep talking about this and then we're gonna slide into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, questions, whatever you got, we're here for you. Topics you want covered, dropped deeper into, let us know, and uh, past episodes of Loveline. As always, over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face and the name of the show and click on it and bam, you can binge, post, share, re-listen. Stick around though, we'll be back talking about changes that occur, what to expect when you maybe step into sobriety. Stick around, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around, we'll be back. All right, we're wrapping up our discussion about changes to expect when we step into sobriety. We, you know, so much. We were talking about the fact that your social life's gonna change. Don't be afraid of that, welcome that. You know, all the good people will stick around and they'll be willing to do non-drinking things with you and they'll check in on you and say, hey, uh, we're not going to be drinking tonight. Or do you mind if we have a drink or two? How, you know, are you feeling okay with that? They'll check in. Uh, splitting a check. We were laughing about that. Talking about staying home a lot more. The stupid questions people ask you. And here's a big one that comes up. Ready? Sober sex. Oh, yes. There are some people who've never had sober sex. And it scares a lot of people. Because you're actually going to be, what? Fully present in your body with yourself. And fully present in a way you might not have ever been with a partner or specific partners. Right? Because some people, they're only used to sex when drinking or drug use, you know? Um, so now we can really work on presence and attunement and pleasure versus just slapping our bodies around trying to get it done, you know? Don't be afraid of it. Step into it. Step into it slowly, though. You know, you don't want to overwhelm or traumatize. We're just trying to move back into and get familiar with. So take your time. No rush, right? Also, there's going to be some people that you're not going to want to date or can't date, where maybe historically you did or could or would, that now you won't. You want a different kind of life. Uh, that changed for me when I stopped drinking. All of a sudden, I was like, well, I don't go out to bars and clubs, and I don't go out late. I go to bed early. I get up early. That's a very different kind of person that I want to be around because I don't want to just get someone. I want to be with someone. I want to be with someone who lives life in the ways that I respect and value and are uh, compatible with how I live my life. Um, and I found that person, you know, someone who's like can take it or leave alcohol, maybe has a glass or two of wine, doesn't mind getting up, loves being out in the world doing things, doesn't want to be out late, doesn't value that. But trying to date someone who does would be a nightmare for me. I don't want to deal with the frustration. Don't deal with the frustration. Let, let drinkers go date drinkers and let sober people date healthy drinkers or sober people. But, you know, it's really hard for someone sober to date a partier because they want to go out on the weekends. You know, New Year's Eve for them means maybe hitting a club or a big event. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not safe or maybe going to be fun for you. It's kind of like if you don't eat chocolate, you don't want to go to a chocolate buffet. You know what I mean? If you don't like seafood, you don't want to go to a seafood restaurant. It's not fun. You feel left out. You feel marginalized. You feel bad. It's just not your jam. That's okay. And that's why if you're sober, it's important on dating apps to mention that and to say to people like, hey, what do you do with your weekends? What do you do on holidays? And if New Year's Eve and holidays and weekends are always about drinking, drugging, you know, music parties and club events, it's not going to be a match for you. You're going to frustrate them. They're going to frustrate you. Just find someone who likes to do the things you like to do. Because if some drinkers and some people that use drugs like adults can still participate in a sober person's life because they use drugs and alcohol like adults. They have boundaries around it. It doesn't need to be all the time and, and everywhere. They can pick and choose. And they're going to choose to do it when you're not around in ways that it doesn't have to trigger or impact you. But you have to then be open to them using when they're not with you and not being threatened by that. And in early sobriety, that might be hard and it might be dangerous. But you set that boundary. I don't want to be around it and I don't really want to engage in it. So please keep that very separate from me where you might say, I just can't be around someone who uses drugs and alcohol, period. And that's okay too. And then you have to start dating sober people, most likely people you can meet and program, you know, going to 12-step meetings because that's where they're most concentrated. But then there's some people that, you know, aren't sober but just don't really drink or drug and they're happy to really not do it ever when they're around you as well because it's not that deep to them. You know, they want something more, love, and they're willing to do it, you know, is required to be a part of your life. So know that. 
Um, what else are we going to got? You're most likely to discover that you can be awkward. I think that is hilariously funny and adorable that, you know, some of the false confidence or willingness you had to go places or be around people that can change. You live more honestly, you feel things, you hear things, you know what I mean? Like you really feel and hear things. And I started to realize, wow, some of these people I was friends with, man, it was easier to be around them when I was drinking in a dark, loud place, like a bar or party, but like sober during the day, horrible. God, shut up. I had those moments and I was like, oh man, our friendships really only worked in those spaces. But outside of those spaces, nah, not so much. And that's okay. They're not then bad people. Their lifestyle is not wrong. It's just, it's no longer compatible. It upsets you, it disrupts you, it triggers you. I can't imagine sitting at a brunch where everyone's drinking at noon. That would be uncomfortable and not fun. Because remember, there's a point where it changes from just having a cocktail or two because they enjoy a drink. There's a moment when it changes to, I just want to get blasted. And that's when you exit, when that change occurs. And I've learned that there's a part of the night, maybe at a comfortable party where everyone's maybe enjoying a drink or two and all's well. But then it goes from that to everyone's kind of intoxicated and looking to just push it further. That's when you bounce. That's your time to go. And usually there's a time of the night where that switch happens quick, especially as it gets later. So I'm the person where I get there earlier on time and I leave early when it switches from easy, accessible conversation, right? And comfort into people are getting sloppy. It's frustrating. It's getting annoying and it's getting hard and it's getting late. And I go, you know, and when I say getting hard, I mean getting difficult to really like figure out how to talk to people, who to talk to. You're not really connecting anymore. You know, that difficulty emerges and you're kind of like, eh, the purpose of this event has shifted now. You know, it's not about social anymore. It's about something else. So double deuces, you know, and you leave lovingly. None of this has to be with anger or dramatics. No one's bad or wrong. It's just different spaces, you know? So acknowledge that. All right, y'all. Coming up next, we're going to close out with some uh, DMs. So stick around for that. If you got a DM for us, as always, drop the DMs on our Loveland AG page. Give us a follow back. Anything you're wondering about, questions, topics, we got you. And uh, we are channelq.com. That's where you will find past episodes of our show. Check it out. All right, y'all. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Alrighty, we are back. Ooh, this is a long one. All right, so hang in there with us. Sliding into the DMs. Dear Dr. Chris, lately there's been a lot of changes going on in my life. My fiance and I, we just purchased our first house. And I have gotten very anxious about things that need to be done. There are a lot of repairs and a lot of changes. And I'm getting ahead of myself, excuse me, by thinking a lot about the future kind of affected our relationship and uh, I'm bummed out that he doesn't seem to see the immediacy and urgency in the ways that I do. But I have been internalizing a lot of this. The other day I was sad, broke down, started to talk to him about what's going on and I'm feeling depressed and he listened and uh, wasn't able to really say much. He told me that he's unable to empathize with me and what I'm going through and that I, and oh, and your question is, should I consider that a red flag? Wow, there's a lot of these kinds of questions coming in. I go up and down with my emotions sometimes often keep it to myself if I'm depressed, feeling anxious, because he never really has comforted me before. I don't know if that should be a deal breaker now that I'm being open more so about my harder, bleaker moments. Oh, hard one. First, I always advocate for having an adult, honest conversation. And the reason why it's important is not just to talk honestly about issues, but to also see how accessible and available the person is to such conversations. Questions like this make me feel as though I have to remind everyone, and it's not a bad thing, um, about what the goal of relationships are. I, I hear people often talk about them when they're a relationship of deprivation and needs aren't getting met, but they talk about it as though it's just something that comes along with a relationship, that it's an inherent thing we have to accept, that that's just how it is, that we don't have other choices, and we do. We get into relationships to make our lives better. We do not get into them to make them worse. We don't have to have them. We need them, we thrive in them, we do better in them, we are socially dependent people, but we don't have to have that one with that person. 
And if your relationship is making your life harder, making your emotions harder, then it is not a good relationship, period. We're missing the point, right? It's like some people have to stay in problematic jobs, unfortunately, because they have bills to pay and it's hard to get jobs. We don't need to be in these kinds of relationships. So I want people to listen to me answering both sides. If you're the guy in this example and your partner comes to you with feelings and thoughts and ideas, your job as a partner, the commitment you make in true commitment is that you are going to be responsive and available. If you are not able to do that, please go work on healing that part of yourself. Stay in relationships like, you, like the one with this woman and learn how to settle down and be open and actually bond and build empathy. If you do not want to be able to do that, please go be single because most people enter relationships for the emotional support and care that they can provide and you're not willing to do that. So it's either a missing capacity or a lack of willingness. Check in on that. If you're like this girl and you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't offer consistency, reliability, availability, responsiveness, it is not a healthy, secure relationship. It is either casual or it's one of deprivation because you have different attachment styles and different needs and you're not able to meet each other. So sit down and say to him, now that we're in a committed relationship, part of that commitment is that you're going to be available for my needs. That is, that is why we get into relationships. Otherwise, why are you with me? What, so that there's just someone there at night next to you? So you have someone to go to the movies with? Like, That's the structural, physical stuff. But we get into them for emotional, psychological needs too. And that is not available. So your relationship isn't even a real relationship. It does not have true commitment or bonding. And all your needs are not getting met. So sit down and give him a chance to talk about it. Find out if it's something he wants to do but struggles to be able to do because that's not his fault. Some people are raised with an avoidant style. It's hard for them to be close and to connect. And we want to still work with them if they're willing to work on it. So that's what you're really trying to find out. Is he open to it or not? But if he's not, then it, your needs will not ever get met. How it feels now is how it will always most likely feel. And it's not working, and so it's time to part ways. And that's okay. Don't feel bad about that. We're in relationships to find partners that can create secure, happy, healthy relationships with us. Not just to have them to have them. And not just to have them be in them, but they make our life hard. That's not part of it. That's not what we should accept. And that's not how they should be. So go find better. But first sit down and have a talk and see if he's responsive. If he's responsive and open, we stick around and we do the work. All right, y'all, that is our show. We'll be back tomorrow night. Uh, be kind with yourselves, <laughs> find some self-care, but as always, thanks for hanging out y'all and you enjoy the rest of your nights. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name, your price tool from progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.